everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with Adam Conover, comedian, writer, podcaster, historian, maybe, uh, video game player. I know that from Jordan Morris, improv performer, uh, host of Adam Ruins Everything. And in my brain, I keep wanting to say Adam explains it all, like Clarissa <laughs> explains it all. But I think that is because to me, it's more like you're just, it's, I, I don't find it that you're ruining stuff, although I get that mm-hmm. aspect of it. And, but my brain keeps like wanting to correct it to Adam explains everything. Cause I think that's what you're doing. We do explain, we explain a lot of things mm-hmm. on the show, but it's through the, it's through the comedic veil of it, of us ruining your good time with right. whatever the information is. Right. And then also explaining is very like mansplainy mm-hmm. and stuff. Like we're not just explaining, you know, we're on a journey together and sometimes things are explained to me. Uh, my, to my character on the show. So, you know. Right. There's many and, dimensions. But I read something where you were saying that uh, you'd had the experience for ever since you were a kid of learning something and then telling someone and then being annoyed by it. Yes. Very much so. Yeah, that was that 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 was absolutely my, I, I I you know I was the kid who was always like piping up in class with something that I had learned about the topic mm-hmm. from some weird place that was um. Uh, that that was you know not related to what the teacher was saying, and she'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Like I have a distinct, <laughs> I have a distinct memory. I've never talked about this specifically, and it's one of those memories that's not even very meaningful. But um, uh, like being in class and the teacher in like first grade, and the teacher was trying to make some point about like overpopulation or something and she's like what you know what's gonna happen if we, if we run out of land you know you can't run out of, like you know there's a there's a finite amount of land and i was like we could buy some and she's like what are you talking about and i was <laughs> like well we bought alaska from russia in 1948 or something i had read like that and she was like what are you what what where <laughs> did you get that and why are you bringing it in here you know <laughs> uh and so that was uh uh yeah so it was it was always that for me my whole life mm-hmm um and your your whole family is very scholarly. Yeah, yes? yeah. I come from and a learned. family of PhDs. Yeah, I'm the only bachelor's <laughs> loser in the family. Yes. Did you think about getting an advanced degree? Oh I, yeah, I wanted to. Really? Yeah. What happened? I well, I I went to uh, college as a philosophy major, and I wanted to go to grad school for philosophy because I wanted to continue. I was really in love with that work, you know, with uh, finding out the truth about mm. the ultimate truth about reality. Um, I was like, oh, philosophy is the field that does that. And um, I wanted to go to grad school. And I uh, uh, is just, you know, none of my advisors or parents or anybody else were like, you should. They were all like, you could, you know, like they were they just like that amount of discouraging that I didn't get around to like doing the, you know, I didn't like apply like immediately, Mm -hmm. you know. Do you Um, think that was about you or about academics? I think it was about both. I think it was both. I think it was some unfairly uh, uh, low expectations probably. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also, yeah, that maybe not. I mean, thank God I didn't, you know, because I would have graduated in like 2010 with a PhD in philosophy. Best case scenario, right? And, uh, you know, not a great year, uh, probably for that kind of work. 
for for you know not a great job market in 2010. Mm-hmm. Right, unlike uh, the booming resurgence that it's having now. Yeah, hey, we're down to three point something. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, and you know, so but but in the time that I was considering applying, my my sketch comedy group started having some like actual success that felt um real in the real world, and I was like, oh okay, I'll do comedy instead, you know, and I sort of had this little sense that. Through comedy, I could work with ideas in the same way that I wanted to in philosophy. Like I was like, I think they're, I think they're similar. I think you can do the one and the other, you mm-hmm. know. And it took me that was two thousand four, and we started doing this show in uh yeah twenty. We started doing our show in twenty fifteen. So it took it took ten years to to get there where I was actually doing that. But you know, I think that hunch was right. Right. Um. So many things I want to talk to you about. But to go back to the idea of ruining things. Please. Um, I was just watching the episode about uh, Adam ruined spas mm-hmm. and and monosodium glutamate not actually being bad for you, which is something my dad has said for years. Yeah. And I think he like, I'm not painting the best picture of him, but would like delight in sprinkling <laughs> it into food because yeah. he cooks a lot. And just I've, knowing that if people, if they, he's a doctor as yeah. well. So he's like, there's nothing, this is, this is all bullshit. It is but people bullshit. are so wedded to the notion that it's bad for you. And there was so much stuff you debunked in that episode. I bought Crystal. a bag, I bought a bag of MSG. Like we all did actually when we're working on the episode. Let's just buy some and taste mm-hmm. some. And it tastes like, um, it tastes like soup. Like it's a, it's a powder that tastes like soup. And I put it in, I will put it in soup and stuff that I'm making. Like if you just, you can't, you can overuse it, you know, and you can put it in the wrong things. Um, but it really does add like, um, uh, especially if you're doing sort of like vegan cooking, mm-hmm. um, and you're making something that is lacking, you know, you can't put in a chicken broth, for example, like putting in MSG or like a, uh, or a, a bouillon base that has an MSG will is really, really helpful. But yeah. Well, you didn't debunk the thing that I feel might be bullshit. And maybe this dovetails with your conspiracy theory episode. Mm-hmm. Umami. Oh, umami. Is it, does it exist? Oh, umami does exist. Mm, yeah. That's what, that's what people who know keep saying. But well, the thing about, the thing about umami is that they call it like the sixth taste or whatever. And the fact is that like, it's dumb to number the tastes, you mm-hmm. know, like that. Like there's way more tastes than smells and things li- than that anyway. Um, so it, you know, it's certainly a real phenomenon, you know, it's how a- would you describe Jeff? What if I just make every guest, whether they're related to uh, this world or not, explain this? Well, how would you describe it? Umami? Yeah. Um, it's a flavor. Well, you know, people say it's a flavor in cooked tomatoes or cooked mushrooms. Um, I find it in the, it, say chicken broth, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to have pure chicken broth, like like, have you ever made chicken broth at home? I want to say yes, but I haven't. Okay, but I can imagine it. So if you take chicken, say say, imagine you are, you know, you you roast a turkey for Thanksgiving. Sure. Okay, and then my family will then take the bones and put them in a pot and then boil right. it. Right. You know, that's the most common time that someone make chicken or turkey stock mm-hmm. at home. And if you put no salt in that and you just cook the liquid, okay. and then you take a sip of it, mm-hmm. right, and you're like, ooh, that's not soup yet, but oh, that tastes really good. So meaty. It's not salty. It's not sweet, it's not sour, it's not vinegary, right? It's there's something in it I like mm. and I want to add it to other stuff. That's that's umami. So like sodium free broth. Is Low it, sodium broth is the yeah. is the real 
yep. real concentrated punch of umami. Now, monosodium glutamate has salt in it, so if you have that pure, you'll taste the salt as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a taste that connotes. It, it tastes like nutrition to us. Like mm-hmm. when you taste it, you're like, oh, that's like. Um, savory is the wrong word. It's like, yeah, it's like brothy. Yeah. Well, Phil Rosenthal, with whom I also had this debate, said that it's savory. (laughs) You you had this debate with the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond? Do not. Oh, he's the widely known as the expert on umami. Right. Well, but now he hosts a show where he travels around and eats. Um, He said it's savory without being salty. Yeah, that's yes. That, so, if you were to isolate, now of yeah. course you'll almost always have it with a salty food. But interesting that it tastes like nutrition to us. Is that yeah. because we are meat eaters? No, it's not. No, it's because it's not related to meat. Right. It's it. It is also found in like mushrooms and and tomatoes and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. And it's why like is it does it taste substantial? Is that what you mean when you say it tastes like nutrition? Yeah. Yeah. It t- it tastes like it's hard to describe, but it, it's something that makes it feel like a full meal. A lot of times, if you make a vegan um. Uh, soup, for example, you'll be like, okay, I'm eating this, but it's like this, like right, missing thin. something that makes me want to take another bite, you know? <laughs> and like umami is the thing that makes you want to take, makes you want to take another bite. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't know this through my research on the shows, mostly through cooking and mm-hmm. like figuring it out. Like I, like I started using, I cook vegan at home almost exclusively. And I actually, I do like cooking chicken broth and stuff. It's like when my girlfriend wants chicken, she'll buy. Uh, she'll buy and are you vegan i'm not vegan but i eat i try to eat vegan uh at least two meals a day Mm -hmm. um and uh uh, but i love cooking and i so i just rarely cook with meat um and uh i love cooking chicken broth and i would sort of i noticed that chicken broth is like a magical you know if you have if so what i'll do is i'll buy a chicken or my girlfriend buy a chicken and I'll roast it, and then I'll take the bones, and then I will later put those in a stock pot or a pressure cooker, and then I'll make a big batch of chicken broth, and then I'll put that in the freezer. That chicken broth is like a is like a magical ingredient. Like you can put that in anything, and it's like oh holy fuck, it makes <laughs> it so much better. You know, like homemade chicken stock is incredible. Um, and then when I cook vegan, it was like hard to find a, a little bit of that flavor. I'd make soup, and I'd be like, what am I missing here? And so I eventually found this stuff called um, it's called Better Than Bouillon, and they make a they make a chicken and a beef. They also make a vegetable one that has a lot of like cooked down it's like a vegetable paste mm-hmm. i forget if it has msg added or not but it definitely has a, has a strong msg flavor and once i started adding that it would take a soup from oh pretty good to like oh this is so comforting to eat and it's and it's nourishing it makes me want more so i sort mm-hmm. of learned how umami works through my own experiment now something now like umami burger like that kind of thing yes that's a rip off if you want that because that is just they they have they're picking up on the fact that this word is around right. and they're like we made a burger with fine kinds of umami in it and you know what it doesn't matter like it's got mushrooms and tomatoes and whatever else who cares like you you could also get umami from ketchup umami is is that's one of the reasons that ketchup tastes really good mm-hmm. um is because it has a lot of that cooked tomato umami flavor so like you're already getting umami on a regular burger there's nothing that special about umami burger it's a fine burger but it's not like you know, that they've done anything magical with it. Umami is just the name of something that you've been enjoying your entire life. Right. You know, it's not anything new. Okay, fine. I'm, I, I, I'm convinced. This is not what I came here to talk I about. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry that I did this to you. So what no, I, no, no, no. I'll talk so about to go anything. back to the, I'll talk about anything. Well, I'll, good. Anything. I will take you up on, is there, <laughs> what's one thing you won't talk about? Oh my God. Um, I Buttholes? mean, 
I feel uh, like you will talk no, about No, I would talk about I, I would talk about buttholes. I I uh I'm thinking about things that like I would be happily talk about, but you probably don't want me to talk about on this show because they're too they're too serious. That's I like that. Actually, I love dark, serious, real. Are you sure? Emot- yeah. Go well, for I mean, it. something that I talk. Something that I talk. Is about. it personal though? No, it's not personal. Oh, it's do better you wanna, if it's do you personal. Want to be personal. Okay, then I yeah. won't get into it. I well, won't just get give into me the category. Okay, of what you're there's talk a very, about. there's a very good. It's a topic we've always wanted to do on the show. And we're like, we genuinely can't figure out how to do it on television. Is that our? Okay, here we go. Our uh, our uh, our cultural fear and horror of pedophilia prevents us from dealing with it as a, as a problem to be stopped. Um, and there's a there's a really amazing This American Life on this like a couple of years ago that I heard and I've since read more about mm-hmm. um, that is like incredible on this topic. It was like one of the best pieces of radio journalism I ever heard. And like, man, it would be such a good topic for the show, except uh, can't I, touch it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we could, but kids watch our show, right? Um, and I love that kids watch our show, and we just do stuff about sex, we do stuff about death and violence and things like that, and parents watch it with their kids. I think it's like the thing that I'm sort of just like, how are we even going to represent this? Because mm-hmm. it, because again, our horror is so huge that we don't even want to confront it. I mean, that's the problem in itself, right? Right. The thing is, nobody does any research on pedophilia. Nobody, uh, psych- psychiatrists won't treat, uh, pedophiles. Um, uh, people won't. Why pe- won't pe- they? Um, uh, because like often because of their daddy, personal horror of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the, this American life story is about a kid who, uh, self realized as a teenager, he was a pedophile and wanted to stop. And he goes to his, uh, psychiatrist, he goes to a psychiatrist. He's, you know, so tells his mom, I want to go to a psychiatrist. Why? I'm, well, I just want to go to, please, I don't want to tell you, you know, fair thing to say. He tells a psychiatrist, she says, what's your problem? He says, I'm, uh, I'm a pedophile. I would like to not be. She like goes white and like calls his mother in and is like, tell her what you just told me, you know, and like refuses to see him, right. which is like a gross ethical violation yeah. for a psychiatrist, right? And so this guy literally now runs an underground online support group for people who want to be not pedophile, right? <laughs> or whatever. Oh, wow. yeah. And they're trying, it's like the, you know, the, the pedophiles anonymous group, mm-hmm. right? But they have, they meet in pseudonyms with, you know, like crazy security precautions on because right. there's like cops roaming the internet trying to infiltrate pedophile groups, you know what I mean? In, in like really mm-hmm. aggressive ways. And so it's like this, you know, this guy's basically like, I'm so, he, you know, the one example of the person trying to deal with this problem and has to sort of like live in fear in a way, you know, and the thing about pedophiles is I'm sorry, I'm really getting to the topic. <laughs> the the thing about him is, is that like nobody wants to even talk about it or look mm-hmm. at it or think about it as a topic That's whatsoever. So I'm sure people are uncomfortable listening to this right now. Right. Here's the real problem. There's gonna be new ones born every day. Like there's not, mm-hmm. y- y- they're never gonna go away by not looking at them, you know. And our a- our ignorance of the problem and our refusal to deal with it, uh, to have any kind of cultural conversation about what do you do. Most people say, "What? Hey, what should we do about pedophiles?" I think we should shoot them in the head. That's the all. That's their mm-hmm. only thought is that like I hate them and they should be put to death. Right. right. Um, but that's not a, that doesn't deal with the, with the problem at all. So you did ask. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, so, okay. So to go back to the, the episode about, uh, toxins and all that, I yes, was thinking, please. cause I know so many people who are into crystals Yeah, and I was thinking actually, despite what I said earlier about, to me, you're not ruining stuff. Like you're just explaining stuff, but I could see for a lot of people, them really resisting this idea that colonics are bad for you, that mm-hmm. toxins don't exist, et cetera. Um, of you've done so many topics at this point. Like, what have you had the most pushback about? Uh, Teslas, uh, really? Electric cars, yeah. 
Um, uh, well, first of all, I just want to say about crystals and stuff like that, that the end of that episode is about how we talk about how all those things are the placebo effect mm-hmm. and how that's fine, you know, and how that's actually the placebo effect is a real thing that can actually make you feel better. That is more powerful than we imagined. Mm-hmm. And we're actually realizing how much it's a part of medical treatment, um, like traditional medical treatment. And so, like, I went into that episode going, like, we got to take down crystals, man. And I left going, like, man, you know, if someone thinks – if someone – does something with a crystal and it makes them feel better that's wonderful and like i'm never gonna poo poo that sort of thing ever again um so uh now colonics are different because they can actually hurt you for Mm -hmm. your health right but apart from that like wellness treatment stuff if it brings people relief great you know and if they're not pursuing it to the exclusion of actual medical treatment if they're not trying to you know cure cancer with it but if they're just trying to say like hey i feel you know like i feel shitty um and this makes me feel better um great uh, but yeah, Teslas were, uh, surprisingly, we did a thing on electric cars and how electric cars, you know, are not going to save the world because, uh, you know, it depends so much on, uh, how, uh, how efficient your electric car is depends so much on the energy mix and where you live. And I just saw a chart on this yesterday. If you live in a dirty producing part of the United States, it's about as good as a hybrid, you know, um, if you uh, or sometimes worse, if you live in a place where like the entire electric grid is solar, of course, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like we're not there yet. And that's the transition that needs to happen first. You buying the electric car is like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, so like, it was the pushback from people who bought electric cars yes, and didn't yes. want to hear that. And, they- the o- and the other part of the problem is that buying electric cars too often. Like if you if you go out and buy if you get rid of your – I have a 2010 Prius, right? If mm. I got rid of my 2010 Prius and bought a Tesla, I would be increasing my carbon emissions by doing so. Mm. The better thing to do is drive my 2010 Prius until it is literally undrivable and then buy a used Tesla later. <laughs> you know, that's right. – uh, other. you can easily undo any positive gain you would make because of how the carbon emissions takes to make the car, right? And so the fact that, you know, Elon Musk is using his, you know, his – wonderful repackaging of you know stock lithium-ion batteries into a very lustable car right the fact that he wants you to that he's using that to sell you new cars is bad for the environment right Mm. uh yeah tesla owners really hated that uh they uh because yeah it was criticizing like their choice you know and um uh, they also tend to see themselves as like the science heroes who are going to, you know, who like need to win one. They seem to think that like people are like biased against electric cars and stuff like that. And so, yeah, we had like a bunch of YouTube videos and articles and things like that. Like a writer for The Verge wrote a big thing about like how like we used lazy uh, science and stuff like that. Does and, that bother you? Yeah, it it does. I mean, it, it doesn't bother me if someone has a... It bothers me when people are mad, <laughs> you know, like I don't want people to be mad. Yeah. I don't want people to be upset by the piece, you know. Um, it doesn't bother me if we got something wrong and we did a segment on our show about like things that we got wrong on the show. Um, uh, and, and you know, I mean, it, 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 it hits me a little bit in the ego. Like, oh, we got something wrong. And then I'm like, okay, let's figure out what it is and address it because mm-hmm. that works great. Like when, you know, when we do that, we get closer to learning the truth and people are very happy when we do that, you know, but when people are upset with the show, then I'm like, oh, I, I brought someone pain and they're mad at me and I don't like that, you know? So with the case of the guy on the verge, like we wrote like a sort of long piece about like 
well, we feel that he's misunderstood our argument, you know, um, and uh, misrepresented it in a few ways. And like when you look at this and this, this is the um, – uh, you know, when you look at this statistic and this statistic, you know, here's our point. And we also added a, you know, heaping helping of like, hey, if it was misunderstood, that means we should have done a better job explaining mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, did uh, you we- feel that way, really? Yeah, I did feel that way. I always feel that way. You know, I, you know, my therapist would say I, I tend to, uh, uh, say, you know, take too much responsibility for everything that happens. That's just who I am, mm-hmm. you know. Every relationship I've ever been in when it's like, um, oh, she's mad at me. It must, it must be something I did. I can always be better. Work on yourself first is my philosophy. And sometimes that's, I think that's great. And then sometimes it's to a fault, you know? Right. Well, sometimes it, you can use it to rationalize staying in something that you shouldn't be in. In or... a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where it's really bad. And it's, and it's important. And I've, I've had that with work relationships too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, working with people where I'm like, where it's very hard for me to say, it's for, it takes me a long time to realize, oh no, actually that time they were the problem. Like right. it was, or, or I actually did the best I could right there. Do you have trouble trusting your gut? Um, no, I trust it. Um, well, in what in what way? Well, um, I have trouble trusting my gut, <laughs> uh, yeah. but I like I will feel like something's amiss in mm-hmm. a relationship or in a situation. But I will tell myself I'm just imagining it, and I will begin to rationalize all the reasons why this thing that I think is amiss is not really amiss. Mm. And then inevitably, it'll be like, oh, it was amiss, and I could have saved myself all these. All this whatever happened from not listening to my initial, uh, my initial read on it. And the reason I asked you that is because you said that in a work situation, sometimes it's like, oh, the other person was the asshole. And so I'm just wondering sometimes if you like talk yourself out of your initial feeling about something. No, my initial, no, I I don't think I do. My initial feeling is, is that I must have done something wrong, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And then, and, and so it's not that, like, I don't have the, like, oh, fuck you reaction. You know, okay. I have the like, oh, no, what what did, what could I have done better here? Reaction, right. You know? And as though the other person is the asshole, it's always the case. It still is the case in conflicts such as, you know, such as some of these that, um, you know, there is something you could have done better almost every time. It is actually sure. the case, you know, even mm-hmm. when the other person and this is what makes it really hard. Even when the other person is in the wrong, right? Yes. Um, it's still like, okay, I, I still immediately go to, okay, what could I have said differently? How could I have couched this better, you know, et cetera? Um, and, uh, that makes it really muddy in terms of my feelings about, how that situation ends, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, okay, well, they were really, you know, you know, uh, they were really over the line there, Mm -hmm. but also I could, I did this thing poorly, you know, like I, I, I responded in this way and I wish I had responded this way instead or, or, you know what I mean? Like I, I was a little short or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Um, and so it takes me a long time to later go, it takes me like six months to look back and go like, no, you know, when we weigh the, when we, when we do the scales of who was really trying in that situation, you know, it was, I, I, sh- I should have, uh, I should take that off of myself, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's the same thing in this Tesla segment where, where, you know, I was like, I was like, ah, we were a little too snarky. I was like, we hurt their feelings and I feel bad about that, you know? And, uh, even though like our science was right, you know, or or I was like, maybe our intro was like, we sounded a little bit too negative on the idea of electric cars overall. And like, we should have been clearer about our point up top. Mm -hmm. You know, we made a joke that was a little too snarky at the top about electric cars that probably made them think we hate them. And when we don't really, when we have a more nuanced view. And then, but then at the end of the day, I had to be like, no, I mean, our, our, our facts were correct. And, and these people had like an overreaction to what mm-hmm. we, to, to what we did, you know, but at the same time, it's, you know, there are different rules in interpersonal relationships than there are as a public individual. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I don't mean to compare the things too, right. too closely, but I would, and also trafficking in the world that you traffic in, you're, I'm sure encountering people that have some issue with you all the time. Yeah, yeah, less often than you'd think, maybe, but yeah, yeah, no, it's true, I do. What was your childhood like? <laughs> um, uh, shorter than average. It was only like about a year long. No, I'm kidding. Wow. Um, no, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it was so efficient. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. I mean, I grew up. I grew up on Long Island. Uh, it was a uh, uh, relatively, relatively affluent childhood. Um, uh, very lucky, you know. Um. Uh, uh, I didn't realize how much my, my parents like saved for, you know, my, my parents sent us to like college with no debt on, uh, my dad was a college professor, mm-hmm. you know, which is like, um, so, you know, I, I, at the time I was, uh, I, I was like, oh, we're like sort of average, you know, lower middle-class family. And then, and then like years, years later, like finally in my thirties, I was like, oh, they made a ton of sacrifices in order to like, you know, not have us take out any loans right mm-hmm. which is like an immense form of privilege um uh to be you know certainly very helpful when you're doing comedy for 10 years uh <laughs> before you uh, uh are paid for it uh to not have any debt um but uh yeah i mean i was a very add kid um i was like a disruptive loud kid and and uh you know so i got a lot of like i think this happens to a lot of comedians a lot a lot of like stop it what are you doing? You're too crazy. God, this kid, you know, like teachers a lot of, or like, parents. Oh, both. Yeah. Um, and, uh, were uh, you diagnosed? Oh yeah. AD? Yeah. Part of the big wave of that, you know, mm. like hard, hardcore. Um, so were you on Ritalin and that kind of you know, stuff? I was, on Ritalin for, I was on Ritalin for some period of time, I think middle school and high school for part of it. And then I, and then I went off of it for a while. I don't really remember much about the Ritalin. Like, like that didn't have a big impact on mm-hmm. me. When I got to college, I started taking Adderall, and that was um, at first very helpful. And then, you know, I a couple of years after college, I quit, and it's sort of like I thank God I did. You know, I have a complicated relationship with that stuff because mm-hmm. um, it's a powerful stimulant. It's like it's you know it's amphetamines. You know, Adderall's amphetamines, and it, I was it helped me do things I wanted to do mm-hmm. in college. I I was able to. I was like, oh, finally, I can like focus on these classes that i that i love and i'm having trouble focusing on like oh my god this is amazing and then also i was you know like sometimes i, I was i was like oh wow i'm literally sweeping my floor at 4 a.m <laughs> i was like i caught myself and i was like well this is a stereotype you know <laughs> yeah. um uh yeah part of that was college you know like mm-hmm. i i didn't go crazy with the stuff but you know as a college student so you you know you take too much and you drink and you know et cetera right. and stuff like that so uh, on the one hand i'm like well this is this is helpful uh on the other hand it's like wild that they give it to kids Mm -hmm. um uh but you know uh uh and yeah now i'm now add is not like part of my life in any in any way 
it's such a complicated thing. I don't really know. Uh, I don't label myself that way anymore, but it's such a, you know, when I start to think about it, like what, what is it? Like, is mm-hmm. this a real, is this a real thing or not? I'm so, I, I should look into that. I'm actually going to write it down because I, I, uh, what, what an interesting, it's such a strange, um, phenomenon. ADD. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what is this thing that we're talking about? Um, anyway. Do you feel like you have an attention deficit these days? I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I often feel like I would like to be able to read more than I do. I feel like that's everyone. <laughs> Not everyone. Some people are just able to read a fucking load of books, you know, like. Okay. That's, I, I, that's ev- yes. Yes. Right. I yeah. mean, some people can do it. Right. You meet these people and you're like, holy shit. You know, yeah. like if I could do that, what what would I be doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Um. Uh. And, uh, you know, I feel that, uh, you know, there are so many times just in my office where I'm, you know, uh, supposed to be working on some script or something like that. And it's hard for me to, I keep moving away from it or whatever. But then, um, there's another part of me where it's like, I had been labeling myself that way for years and thinking like, Oh yeah, I can't pay attention. I'm bad at this. And, and this is like really holding me back. And like, I have to push really hard to get over it. And like, Oh, you're so stupid piece of shit. And then I looked around and I was like, I have a TV show. Like I got, mm-hmm. I got here. I'm, I'm doing a TV yeah, show, you're accomplished. right? So like, and I still, I still have this like feeling that like, I'm, uh, you know, that I'm, that I'm deficient in this mm-hmm. way. And like, I'm getting a lot done. I know a lot of things. I'm like, you know, I'm getting through my emails. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think at some point I have to give myself credit for that. And, you know, like, so who knows? Did I, did I come up with, do I have some kind of neurological deficiency that I've come up with an elaborate set of coping mechanisms for? Could be. Or was there never a problem to begin with? And it was a fantasy made up by a psychiatrist when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Could be that too. And, and, and I'm actually within a normal spectrum of behavior. Could be that. I don't know which one it is. You have know? you done Adam Ruins Therapy? Not therapy, no. We, no, we haven't done anything. We haven't done – the only psychological topic we've done is about memory and about the – which is very funny that the people think that it our folk idea of memory is very dumb um, compared to like what it actually is. Uh, and we've done um, like conspiracy theories and stuff, like why they pop up in your mm-hmm. brain. But we haven't done – we haven't done therapy specifically. Why? Do you want us to ruin therapy? No, I don't actually because uh, I, I believe very – strongly in therapy and i was actually yeah everyone should go to therapy that's what i believe but i on before you came over i was thinking like oh man that's one like it's it's one thing for me to just watch my beliefs confirmed when i watch your show like oh i knew that i knew yeah you know but then it's another thing to actually have something that you believe in be debunked and i was just I, so i was just curious if you got what your thoughts are regarding therapy and it's how, what that would look like if that were a show. But then I was relieved to hear that you believe in therapy. So, yeah, I mean, so that it, one will be fine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's sad that people don't. Um, you know, I mean, all, all I really think about therapy is like it's it's really good to go talk to someone about how you feel, who can help give you a little bit of an objective view and help give you some tools. That's about that's about it, you mm-hmm. know, because th- therapy is like. 
therapy is like almost nothing as far as like a treatment goes. You know what right. I mean? It's yeah. just like you're just talking to a yeah, person. Yeah, you really are just getting someone to point things out that yeah. maybe maybe someone close to you could point out, but you just wouldn't quite hear. My therapist has books on the wall. She's got psychologists and, you know, psychiatrists and like, you know, religious thinkers and people all up and down the wall. She never talks about any of those people. You know, sometimes I point at one of the books, like, I read that one. Let's talk about that. She, you know, she's read them and everything, but like, you know, it's just like having the, having the space and, and, you know, having someone with just like any amount of emotional intelligence help you like think through your, mm-hmm. what you're thinking and, and give you a little like perspective is like, you know, that's, yeah, that, obviously people need that, you know? Um, so, well, oh, wait, sorry, I cut you off. Mm. I was going to say, let's go back to your childhood for a moment. Um, cause I'm just thinking the, the want to, to the extent that you want to be liked and don't yeah. want people to hurt and mm-hmm. take things, take responsibility for things that maybe aren't yours. And then this voice that you just mentioned that's like, you're a piece of shit. You have a deficit. I'm just wondering, do you have theories on where that comes from? Where the voice comes from? The whole thing. Oh, um, do I have theories on where it comes from? I mean, I think it, I think it, like, uh, a lot of it comes from, you know, that sort of chastisement I had when I was a kid about, you know, like the way that, you know, I mean, I guess the way that my therapist put it is, is like, you know, you're just sort of being as a kid, you know, like, here's like, hey, I'm just being myself, you know, here I am, you know, and like, as a kid, I got a lot of like, you're being wrong, mm. you know, like, you're, this is wrong what mm-hmm. you're doing um go do something get out of here or go do something else you know what i mean so um uh and certainly that happened to me and that created you know i i'm sure i feel things as a result of that now would i go so far as to say well that created in me a need for approval and social approval from others and that's why i performed today i could i'm a little resistant to that narrative i certainly do seek social approval from others and Mm -hmm. you know that was what drove me to uh uh that was a that was part of what drove me to get into comedy you know like i remember specifically being in like you know a really good like getting real laughs in a good room you know as being you know uh like when my sketch group would get them and then my sketch group broke up and i was like i don't want that to stop happening like it feels so good Mm -hmm. to get like to be in the middle of the laughs like it was so powerful to me you know that i just wanted to go do it more um and uh you know it's i was thought of like yeah getting those laughs that's like a that's like a straight hit of social approval straight to the vein you know (laughs) like like that's the uncut stuff right (laughs) and it made me feel like kind of high you know like it's really it you know i I, yeah i'd compare it to sex you know um uh certainly having a really good set you know um at least in, in those early days um uh so you know certainly I feel that way and other people don't feel that way and that's like would would contribute to them not performing. I also know right. performers who are like I know performers whose fundamental mode of being is like don't look at me. I wish I never had to leave my house and I you know and I don't want anything from anyone and I uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know why I'm doing this, you know. So, I don't know why they're doing it then. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some people <laughs> I guess it's an artistic expression. Yeah, you know, who knows? Well, they're driven by something else, you know. Um mm-hmm. and I'm not a fan of the theory that you know, the sort of Mark Marin theory of like, everyone, you do comedy because there's a darkness. There's a hole in you and you're trying to fill it. You try to fill the darkness with you. We're all evil and twisted and dark inside. And that's what we're bringing out on the stage. Because I was always felt like, 
when I would hear that, I am delighted by your Mark Marin impression. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it was the accent was just okay, but yeah, you know, um, uh, are we good? Um, uh, so uh, I I would listen to that when he would say something like that, and I'd be like, I'm not dark. I don't have darkness. Like, mm-hmm. am I a bad comic because like I don't have some. You know what I mean? Cause I, cause I don't have a demon inside of me. Like, um, so I never, I never liked that. I was like, I like making people laugh and I'm certainly driven to get laughs to mm-hmm. a certain extent, but like, I also like writing jokes and I like, I like, you know, I, I always knew I liked sort of like opening people's minds and like informing and, and educating them as I was entertaining them. And that was what drove me. I wasn't like trying to like, you know, scream at my dad or like, you know, wrestle with alcoholism or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, or you know what I mean? Like, right. I, I you were trying that... to exercise demons. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing those things. And there's nothing wrong with exercising demons. It's very funny when, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh, so. Did you do stand up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did uh, you, you start stand up or sketch or improv? Or... I, I only did improv for a couple of years and I didn't like it. And I, so I, I. How come? Um, well, so after my sketch group broke up, I started in a sketch group. It was in a sketch group called Old English. Um, we did videos in the early days of, of, of pre-YouTube internet and then on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we had a lot of success doing that. It got me started in the New York comedy scene. Then the group broke up. Um, and this is the group with whom you performed at Sketchfest, right? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you were at the same theater that my show was at. Yes. And I saw you a couple times sound like preparing yes. to sound yes. check. And... I wasn't sure it was you yes. because I was like, why would the guy from Adam Ruins Everything be in a sketch be, group? <laughs> and didn't you have a guitar? I had a guitar. And yeah. then holding a guitar. But so I don't know if you saw me like looking at you for too long. Cause like I was trying to figure out if you were you. Cause if I you, think we met, I, I yeah. If um, you were, if you were you, I wanted to say, Oh, Hey, I'm a big fan. <laughs> like I like your show. Yeah. Do you want to come on my podcast? But then I was like, it really looks just like him. That was my college sketch group. We did a reunion show. Mm-hmm. We hadn't performed for years and years. So that's why, you know. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be in a sketch group now. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, it's fun to be in a sketch group. But, um, right. so uh, you're, I, I was asking you why you, why you stopped doing improv. Yeah. And I was sort of getting to that. I, I, I started, uh, doing, after the group broke up, I was like, okay, I don't want to stop doing comedy. I'll just do everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was teaching sketch at UCB and then I started this doing This is in New York. In New York. You went to Bard. I went to Bard College. Yeah. Uh, this is in New York City. And I went to, uh, uh, so I started, I was teaching at UCB. So I, so I was teaching sketch and I was like, I've never done improv. I'll take improv and, uh, start doing stand up at the same time. And at the end of doing improv, I was like, you know, I still just, when I'm in, when I'm doing improv, whether I'm in a class or on a stage with even in, a, I was on an indie team that I liked with those guys, you know, with like some people I really enjoyed performing with. What were you guys called? Uh, Secret Man Group was the name of the group. Um, I uh, uh, would be on the back line and I'd just be like, I hope I don't have to step out. <laughs> During this show, I hope I never have to be in a scene. Even when I was in, like a, you know what I mean, like. Right. And, and then sometimes for the shows, I would open and do stand up, and I would love that. Mm-hmm. And then I would just be back there watching and being like, I hope I never have to be in this, you know. And so there's something about me, like I don't like 
having to be a character on the off the top of my head i i find that uncomfortable even i play dungeons and dragons you know mm-hmm. and i don't like that element of dungeons and dragons strangely the pageantry uh well no the pageantry is fine but like having to like come up with in character things to say mm-hmm. it it flusters me just slightly it's fun I, you know D is fun so i still do it but like you know improv i was like i like being myself you know and after three years i was like in stand-up i was like doing better i was mm-hmm. like getting booked on you know bar shows and things but i was getting booked and in improv i was like i was like i'm not enjoying this so i stopped mm-hmm. you know um uh and yeah you know improv is fine and i have lots of wonderful people who do it but you know i gave it the old try and i was like yeah not for me right well it's interesting because i used to always to me the difference between improv and stand-up stand-up used to always be one's collaborative and you're a team player and the other one's like you're just solo performer and then i think it was cameron esposito who put it i hope it was her if not it's still a good i'm pretty sure it was her i think it was saying that no stand-up is about honesty and authenticity uh, versus acting often, pretending. yes often it is um I'm trying to think if I agree with that statement. Um, I, I'm also trying to think if that was her exact. It was something in that ballpark. You guys don't hold her to that because I feel I, like I, I mangled it. I agree and I don't agree with both statements. First of all, stand-ups who uh, there are plenty of improvisers who, who improvise for themselves, and that's bad, you know. Um, uh, but also uh, because we know that that's you know in group work, uh, you should be generous and yada yada. And yes, you, and you need the whole group. Um, in stand-up, people who are too too individualistic i think it doesn't i think it's not great you still need to be a member and stand up is extremely community driven um uh and uh uh you know it's like this diffuse community of independent operators you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so like being a good community member is uh very important i think you know i like you can you know i guess you could like claw your way to the top while being an asshole to everybody but it doesn't it doesn't work as well as you know as as uh being a good person and so there's a lot of like um you know uh uh you know i i ran a show uh with emily heller called fresh out for like 7 years and like the purpose of running the show like at first i was like i, I want the stage time but also it's like i want to create a space where others can have stage time because that benefits me right um just to be like hey i've made stage time for everybody you can mm-hmm. come be on my show you know we're going to book people etc and we try to book it you know honestly and ethically and stuff like that so that's really important um but as for stand up being honest like there's plenty of comics who do act in in their act, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like like a Maria Bamford, um, or a um, uh, trying to think of another, uh, Kate Berlant. You know, right. you know Kate Berlant. I love her. She's great. Yeah, and so you know, Kate Berlant is is you know not not being herself most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it's true that there's a honesty or authenticity of like you know you're sort of. Um, kind of stripped naked as a stand-up and it's just like it's people know i'm just watching one person on stage mm-hmm. you know and so even when you're watching them do a character you're still kind of watching them you know in a way uh and so yeah it has that it has that element to it like there's nothing to stand up other than like i thought this would be funny <laughs> you know like hey here i am i came out of my house i'm sitting on stage in front of you i i i, I hope this is funny mm-hmm um and uh and i related to that part about it like just going up and being like isn't this funny that's that was the main thing. Like I could say this, and like here's the thing I thought was funny, and do you think it's funny? Well, then we'll all laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very it's very basic and simple that way. Um, are your parents funny? Uh, no. Uh, well, 
my mom can be funny, especially if she's had a couple drinks. Uh, my dad, a very serious guy. Um, uh, he, he, you know, he when he lightens up, he can, you know, you can he he can say a funny thing. He's not a totally dour guy, but he's you know very um lost in thought. Uh, uh, you know, work focused kind of guy. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, arm armchair. So I find myself more and more. Uh, prefacing statements with that. That's just going to be my new profession. Um, yeah, armchair. Armchair. Just armchair. Armchair. You're an armchair. <laughs> I'm just an armchair. Armchair psychiatrist. Uh, was getting your was and is getting your dad's approval important? <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have it now, um, which is nice. You know, oh, we're very proud of you. You know. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I was never it was never like a really driving mm-hmm. super driving factor in my life, you know what I mean? Um maybe because they're not they're not like that withholding, you know what I mean? Right. So, uh yeah. But you know, there was a sort of, sort of like um I think it was the ADD stuff and, and other things a little bit of like uh uh lowered expectations among among them and a lot of other people that I sort of felt I had to, you know, push again. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, okay. So, did the show with Emily Heller? Was that also in New York? Yeah, we did that in New York too. And then, wait, you're are you bi coastal or are you based out here now? I live here. Yeah. When I, mean, I go to I go to I gotta go to New York like five six times a year, but right. Yeah. But you shoot out here, yes. right? Yes. Um. So, can you talk me through the path from improv group comedy? To where you are now. Yeah. Uh, well, I was in New York and I was just trying to do every kind of comedy I could. Um, and uh, I uh, got a uh, – uh, basically, I started writing a college humor as a sketch writer um, and uh, through, through a, a, a lucky break. And um, then I did that for a couple of years. Then they made everybody move to Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, to uh, – uh, sell TV shows, and uh, uh, I was res- resistant at first, but good thing I came because then we sold uh, my TV show. We made Adam Ruins Everything as a web short, and then we uh, did it as a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, uh, you know, we just sort of like made a couple web shorts, and then we took it around town, and True TV bought it, and we got very lucky that it did well, and they wanted more of it, and etc. Where did the idea come from? Uh, I mean, at at uh, College Humor, you just write two sketches a week, you know, and um, uh. I uh, I had done the De Beers uh, diamond ring engagement ring thing in my stand up, and it was sort of like an A stand up bit of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I thought the fact was really interesting, and um, I wrote it as a sketch. And uh, the thing was, I had actually written tried to write instructional sketches before, but um, I had I had been a little bit insecure about it because I felt like I got a little reaction of like, oh my God, this is so pedantic, you know, like <laughs> it's so annoying, like this is going on and on, you know. Mm-hmm. So in that one, I just wrote two of the other writers in the sketch being annoyed by me, right, as like the comic foil. Um, and that turned out to be like the comedic engine of the whole thing. But I did it in order to defend myself prematurely against them saying in the room that it was too annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up being being the whole show. Right. And I read that uh you said that the the character that you play on the show is like a younger version of you is that right um yeah it's based on that it's based on that emotion um uh i 
often felt um, uh, growing up, um, like in high school and in college. And I really only stopped feeling this way once I started doing stand-up, interestingly enough. But um, I felt like, you know, I was like different than other people in a way that, you know, uh, awkward is like too slight of a way to describe it. Just that like, you know, I bothered people Mm -hmm. that I was like, there was something socially off about me that made people not want to spend time with me and made made me annoy them, you know. Were you an outcast? Uh, Yeah, that's a way to put it. You know, I mean, I had I had friends various places but you know I, I i i you know but i was often lonely and and that kind of thing and you know a lot of that is like very normal mm-hmm. high school stuff you know or like or like teen you know teen late teen years stuff um but uh uh you know that was like a sort of self image i carried with me for a uh, for a long time um and so that's the way the character on the show is you know he's bothering everybody <laughs> he desperately wants people to like him and to be uh, accepted and he's trying to communicate with them the only way he knows how um, but they're always pushing him away and saying like no 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 we don't like this because mm-hmm. they're normal right they're normal people right you know? and so yeah that was what you know um, you know that was a relationship I had with people in high school you know like, go away Adam what are you what are you what are you doing you know because it was, I was being a painful we- it was yeah it was painful but I was being a weird kid they were rea- they were reacting you know they weren't being mean they were reacting normally too, you know, to me being like, I was, I'm sure I was being mm-hmm. annoying. You know what I mean? Like, um, uh, I, I don't think it was, you know, I was, I was never bullied, uh, oddly. Like, um, you know, people talk about bullying and I, mm-hmm. I very well could have been or should have been bullied. I mean, there was, I, I remember like one or two incidents of like, of like a kid bullying me. Come to think of it. What you happened? Know? Um, uh, I don't think a kid stole like a book of mine and stuff like that, you know? Um, uh, I remember there was one time there was a kid who was like picking on me and there was one time he like picked on me a lot and I like attacked him in gym class. I was like, ah, and I like jumped on him <laughs> to the ground and then the gym teachers pulled apart and he was like, he like knew that, I, oh, you have a doggy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gym teacher, I think like knew the kid had been picking on me. It was just like, get, you know, like, I didn't get in trouble for like, for right. that. So it was like i don't remember what the kid's name was um but uh but that didn't leave a big impact like i had to search for that just now like, oh yeah that did happen one time mm-hmm. but so so it wasn't that kind of thing um but uh a lot of it i don't know it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know so what i loved about stand-up is that stand-up is like intensely social you know the way you start doing stand-up is you just start going to open mics you know and then you go to enough open mics that you recognize that people are the different open mics and when you go you're like hey hey how you doing how you doing how you doing as you go see everybody you know um and uh uh you know you laugh at other people's jokes and you you talk you know etc and like and then you know being on stage is is like you know like sort of like really forced social exposure, you know? And so I went from over the course of doing stand up, I used to feel like the odd person out in like almost every social situation. Oh, everyone's going to be mad at me and I shouldn't talk. And like, I'm weird, you know? And now I feel like intensely comfortable in every social situation. Like I, I not everyone, but you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, like I know I can tell when other people feel uncomfortable and I can be at ease in a way that hopefully makes them at ease, you know, for, for instance, um, like, um, you know, or, or I can find something to talk to about, about somebody, or mm-hmm. I just, I just feel comfortable and I feel very comfortable in social. I feel, I feel abnormally comfortable where I used to feel abnormally uncomfortable, you know, and now I realize that like, oh yeah, most people feel, uh, uh who do I talk to? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I rarely feel that way now. 
Um, and so it was just, I think it was just through doing, through doing stand up that I sort of like cured myself of, of that affliction, mm-hmm. you know? That's um, really interesting. Yeah. Do, is there a given situation that will make you feel insecure these days? Oh, yeah. Like yeah, what? All the time. Um, uh, you know, I still, uh, I, I get very, um, yeah, I get insecure at what I'm work when I'm working on the show a lot. Um, you know, I give a lot of power to um everybody on the on the creative staff. Um, you know, I have a I have two EP, you know, we've been doing the show for a while now. So now I have two EPs and a head writer and a head researcher and a writing staff and a research staff, mm-hmm. you know. So we've we're, we're working on the show right now and we've got like you know, 15 people, right? Um writing it. And um uh you know, I uh uh, give them, I give their opinion a lot of credence and a lot of, you know, uh, importance. Um, and so, you know, I guess my insecurity now is, uh, you know, I don't have a default of like, my way's right. Mm-hmm. You know, my way's right. Um, if I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned about like being a good boss and being a good executive producer and being a good showrunner, right? And being a good like show creator. And so I get insecure about like, are my instincts off on this? Am mm-hmm. I being fair to this person? You know, am I? Uh, uh, Do you usually end up deferring or or going with what you think? It's a it's a compromise and a negotiation on every on every single thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to pick out. For instance, like I, you know, I do a uh, um, uh, you know, on the scripts like. If I'm doing a final pass on a script, you know, and and, and at the end of the, you know, um, from the last, if if I'm looking at a script for the last time and I'm looking at a joke and I say I don't like this joke, right? I would like a new joke. Either I'm going to write one or please write one for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's extremely hard to tell the difference between whether the joke is actually not good enough or if I don't like the joke because I didn't write it mm-hmm. and I wasn't in the room when it was pitched and I don't understand it yet and I don't have an attachment to it mm-hmm. and I want something new just because I will feel more comfortable with it. You know, it's really hard to tell the difference between those two things. And in one of them, you're being a good show creator and the other one, you are making other people do work for no reason, you know, and you're, and you're being, and you're shutting other people down and you're exerting mm-hmm. too much control and right. you're micromanaging all, the, all those sorts of things. So that makes me insecure because I want very much to like do a good job. Although that means life. you are actually a very good showrunner and boss that you even care. Cause I, there could be plenty of people <laughs> standing in your shoes who are like, it doesn't matter why I just want a new joke. Sure. On principle. It, 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 yes. I mean, on principle, you're correct. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if I'm making people do the extra work, right. even if I'm worried about it, it doesn't help, you know? And plus if you then spend a really ta- long time making a decision, you know, and then you take forever, pull the room. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What yeah, I guess think? that's not good. You know, it like goes on and on and on. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I get, uh, I can get very insecure about that kind of thing, but you know, I'm getting better at that and, and taking, you know, taking time and, and, uh, uh, learning to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Adam, some of that just sounds exhausting. And you know what I think would help you? A Casper mattress. Support for <laughs> Allison Rosen is your new best friend comes from Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. You're probably familiar with Casper by this point because they're so well known for having revolutionized the mattress industry. It turns out that that thing you do where you go and you lie on a bunch of different mattresses and think it's going to correlate to your satisfaction with the mattress 
It doesn't. Uh, so Casper has cut out the middleman and they give you these great mattresses for, they're so much more affordable than what you would spend if you just go to one of those mattress stores with the huge, uh, upcharge. A Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans, engineered to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. You spend one third of your life sleeping. I would like to spend more than that sleeping. So you should be comfortable. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. They're designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S. Uh, no hassle returns if you're not completely satisfied. So you order them online and then they arrive in these boxes and you think how could an entire mattress be in that box it's like a big box but not as big as an unfurled mattress you open it up and then it unfurls right in front of you it's possibly one of the most exciting things you'll ever experience free shipping and returns in the u.s and canada you can be sure of your purchase with casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial um i slept and i don't i in general don't sleep well Sleep so much better on a Casper mattress, and my husband snores, and I swear I hear it less. It just gets muffled. Not muffled enough, but it gets a little more muffled. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash BFF and using promo code BFF at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash BFF and promo code BFF for $50 towards select mattresses. Okay. This would also be a time to tell you guys I have a book coming out, Tropical Attire Encouraged and Other Phrases That Scare Me, available April 10th. And I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. Bonus episodes, rewards, fun stuff, etc. Okay, let's quickly take some questions that listeners sent in on Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you That was a really nice song. Thank you. That is all uh, courtesy of Tom Rapp, a.k.a. Trap Dog. Okay. Uh, well, you actually you actually answered this already, but maybe there's more. Ishe says, what is a subject or two or three that you would love to do a show on but are probably important? possible or just unwise to cover i mean that i gave you that but, yeah. one. i gave you that one already i could list a couple more but that's the biggie mm-hmm. uh, okay west anthony says what has been the most personally cherished belief to be demolished by your own show um the most personal the most personally the most personally cherished belief, cherished belief. um I mean, we, uh, I'm, I'm a shower every day person. I feel gross if I don't shower every day. We did an episode about how you don't need to shower every day and how the soap industry convinced you that you'd be, that you were covered with a thin film <laughs> if you didn't shower. And I feel that film, mm-hmm. you know, through advertising. Um, so, uh, uh, that's the, but I still do shower every day. Can't, can't live without it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I got into a thing for a while where I, would wash my hair every day too, which you keep hearing because now there's like this push against it's like the, the inverse of the advertising industry, which is all the beauty people who are like, just wash your hair once every six months. Yeah. I'm well, exaggerating. And you know but, what, you know, they're like, Hey, you don't need to wash your hair that much, but you do need dry shampoo. That's true. I yeah. didn't think about it that way. Yeah. There's, they'll find something else to sell you. Right now there's this real overlap with, 
beauty products and self-care. Like it's mm. empowering. And there's these podcasts devoted to it. Um, you know, like what a woman does. It's like I treat myself by using all these skin creams and all this. And the, it's, it's interesting the way it's been, the way it's presented as an empowered and empowering thing to do when right. really it is about products, but also yes. it's about more. I just said, if I'm being honest, I just said, but also it's about more because my friends have these podcasts. I was, just a guest, I was just a guest on one. And I think I'm falling prey to it because we talked about serums on this show. Oh, boy. It's a big, it's a big thing. We talked about doing that on our show. I, I forget if we're actually going to, but yeah. About Beauty doing products skin, or well, skincare? Well, skin, skincare. Skincare is such a humongous thing right now. Skincare and people, is a new, yeah. as a new, as a new sort of like halo of thought about, about skincare uh, is, yeah, I mean, it's, and there's so there's stuff like there's double cleansing. I don't really know what that is. People mm. put put acid, various acids in the same way that acid was like a big term in the cooking world. Now it's a big term in skincare. You and put it's, a lot of acids on your face. Yeah, and I think that people are like harming their skin. Oh, some people are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It might look better temporarily, but that's but because then there it's are inflamed. people. There's some people in our writers' room who said, "Look, when you really have bad skin, and you, you know, sometimes you need this. Stuff, you know, some like yes. like sometimes you're really keeping stuff under control. So you don't want to like, you know, poo-poo something that's actually like, you know, giving someone some some comfort and stuff like that in mm-hmm. their life. But it seems like it's gotten to. I've heard anecdotally, it's gotten to a fever pitch it, that perhaps we could take down a notch. Yes, perhaps I agree with you, and also I want to get into it. The fever pitched has reached me. <laughs> I, I mean, I all glow. things, you know, it's so much fun to learn about a new world. And, you know, like, I mean, how different is that from the dude who's like, you got to get the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. I'm getting miles. You know what I mean? It's like an entirely different where we are going to do that, do that on the show this year. And it's like this whole system of thought of like, you know, I got the mile, I got the car, I got the lounge, I got the thing. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm There's getting one over. I'm getting one over on the airlines, baby. No, you are not, my friend. You have <laughs> entered into a corporate labyrinth that mm. is just getting you to spend more than you were before. I'm afraid to say it. Oh, that's. So I had a credit card that had no rewards for my whole life. No, I didn't have a credit card for my whole life. But in, in my credit years, credit card, no rewards for so long until all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I could be going on so many vacations or whatever the freebies that you get are. Yep. And weirdly, I'm mad at my mom about that. I'm like, she should have pulled me aside and told me to get a different credit card. Uh, it's not really her fault. You should have a debit card is what you should have. Or get 2% cash back. I do have a miles card or two. But, you know, like the the 2% cash back is, is right. you're better off. Look at one of those. I did go. I did fall into that rabbit hole vortex and climbing whatever. i do it all the time i spend i just like well let's start reading points guy yes that's exactly where i went and i'm like there's but it's like it's too much work and you do end up spending like there are people who will fly places they don't want to go just to get the miles yeah that seems counterintuitive no. okay there was another question and here it is Carlos Loves Pods says, would he ruin something <laughs> cooking related and do a crossover with Alton Brown playing his brother or dad dream lineup right there? You must get that all the time. Oh, yeah. People say, I mean, I don't, I don't really understand because he's, that guy's got like no hair and I've got a bunch mm-hmm. and he's old and I am a young foxy uh, spring chicken. Uh, no, he's great. Uh, but yes, people say I look like but Alton Brown. But you're like the heartthrob. 
Yes. He's the dad. Thank you. Thank you. I, mean, I love to cook. I would certainly do something cooking related. It's actually really funny. I did not see... Um, I had never seen an episode of Good Eats until after we started making our show. And then I finally went back and watched it and I was like, this show's good. And also, yeah, I get the similarity. Like he's it's zipping a similar around. Presentation. Here's the weird thing about Good Eats. There's never another person in Good Eats. He's like, it's like he's, he's, I imagine he's cooking in an ap- a post apocalypse <laughs> where he's like, he's like, here I am in my kitchen. And he goes to the store. There's no one else in the store. Mm-hmm. You never see a single person who's eating this food. Right. You know, like he's all by himself. Uh, all of humanity is dead, and Alton Brown is just making these making these uh, <laughs> uh, cooking videos for us. It's good that someone is. And lastly, Larry Augsburger says, "Will there be an Adam ruins home improvement home selection shows?" Oh, uh, I mean, we did a uh, we did. Well, we did a housing episode that was partially about, um, you know, uh, uh, buying a home is is not the investment that people think it is. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're in the process of of home buying. Yeah, uh, is uh, it not? Because I grew up hearing yes that it's like the best investment. No, it's not. It? It's not the best investment. Yeah. Um. Uh. If you look at the entire U.S. housing market as an investment since like inception, since like 1950 or whatever, it's risen at a rate identical with inflation. Which means as an investment, it return, it gives a return of 0% or, or of exactly, you know, yes, exactly 0%. Right. Um, and that is because this is very intuitive. The people say the value of a house goes up. The value of a house does not go up over time. The price of a Mm -hmm. house can go up, especially in a particular market. It can go up. So if you're smart enough to buy a place, if you're, if you're lucky enough to buy a place where the pricing of the houses are going up, you can beat inflation, right? But you could also be in a place where it rises very slowly, right? Um, the value of a house does not go up because the house is, so you buy a three bedroom. Guess what? That house is going to fit three people forever. Mm hmm. The, it's not growing other rooms, you know, that are going to be able to, to fit I want more a people, sentient right? house that does grow rooms. In fact, the value of the house goes down because it depreciates because the house gets older mm-hmm. and you have to put money into it to just keep it at the same house, right? Do you own a house? Um, I am also in the process of buying a house. Um, <laughs> okay. no, uh, but, but the thing is, I'm not buying a house because it's a great investment and I have to buy one. Mm-hmm. I'm buying a house because we looked into it very carefully and we found out that it happens to make financial sense because for the type of place that we would like to live in, it is cheaper to buy than to rent a Mm -hmm. a house um, at that rate. And we looked at the neighborhood carefully and we're like, this, this neighborhood is not going to go down. It's going to go cheaper, but this is where I drill down on just personal stuff to me. Cheaper than to rent over the long haul or like over. Cause the thing is, you know, I grew up with those parents who were like, when you when you rent, you're just throwing your money away. However, our mortgage is going to be way more than our rent. Yeah, and and when you, the, it's very the idea that when you rent, you're throwing your money away is is very wrong, and that's what we cover in the episode itself. Um, because yes, your mortgage is very long. If you look at how much you pay in interest over the life of a mortgage, it is, uh, uh it, you know, it's extremely high. And I, and you know, in the first couple of years, you're mostly paying off the mm-hmm. interest, right? So if you move every five years, you are, you're just paying interest, right? right. Uh, on mortgage after mortgage after mortgage. Um, uh, and so, you know, now, yes, you do have the you do have the opportunity to uh, build equity at the same time that you're paying 
that you that, that you're paying the expense of living, right? So so that's what those people are saying. They're right? Like, they're but, like, well, but, you could pay rent, but also gain equity. That's what a mortgage is. But when you say it's cheaper to buy than to rent, are you talking about the monthly payment? I'm yes, I'm I'm talking about the the total cost of us to live in a similar place, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, we might as well buy. And in fact, the, uh, you know, it's hard to find a rental that is, you know, we're getting like a three bedroom, two bathroom. It's hard to find a rental that's that, that is a place that you would want to live in, right? Yes. Um, uh, and you know, we're 35 and, and, you know, we both work on TV shows and like we were able to. She works on Bojack Horseman. She works on Bojack Horseman. She just created her own show for Netflix called Tuca and Bertie that's coming out. Oh, that's very cool. Coming out later this year. Gonna star Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong. It's gonna be so cool. I discovered Tiffany Haddish. I made her career. Did you really? I had her on this show. <laughs> and so, and I was on a serious XM show with her. I was a guest like a year before that. So I knew who she was before everyone else did. There, hence I made her career. She's wonderful. Yeah. Um but so we we have been working in television for a couple of years and we have not changed our lifestyle at all. We've just saved all of the money That's from that so and, we, and we have enough to put on a for for a, a down payment that is so that is part of what makes it cheap because the monthly payment is so low mm-hmm. right so if you could put a put down a big down payment that you have money you'd just be keeping in the bank well then yeah sure it does make you know then then that part makes sense right because it it ends up that the that the rent is cheap right but but folks who are being but the idea of telling people everyone should buy a home because it's the best investment you can make Right. Leads people to take out bad mortgages Mm. on homes that are not worth having when they should really just rent. And most importantly, it makes us think that renting is inherently bad and that when we're talking about housing policy, we should be incentivizing home ownership and making sure everyone can buy a home. No, we should be making sure that everyone is able to live someplace that is uh, affordable and livable, right? And that is the problem in America. The problem is not that people can't afford to buy homes. The people, the problem is that people can't afford to rent homes. People can't afford to live anywhere. You know, every city in the country, the ho- the price of housing is incredibly high. You know, like something like, oh God, the numbers are like in, in LA, it's like the number, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like a quarter to a third of people in Los Angeles are paying more than half of their income on rent. Yeah. Like that. You, you see, Which you're you, not supposed to. No, you're not supposed but to. But you have to here. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so the effect on, the effect on, uh, poverty is, is immense. And that's the case in almost every city in America, right? Um, like you go, go anywhere. Oh my God, it's so expensive to live here. That's what they say all over, you know. Interesting. Um, uh, you know, not, not in the country, not in the very small cities, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, go anywhere else. Um, and it's because we're not building rental units where we, the, the affordable rental unit has, has died out. Um, and that's because people want to sell people condos. And part of it is because of this, it's this addiction to, to home ownership, you know? Um, and home ownership is like, it's become a rite of passage. Yes. Yes, it has. And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, so so as an individual thing you know you really have to look at your own case more you know more specifically um because there are many situations in which renting is better in which you come out ahead the new york times has a rent buy calculator mm-hmm. and you put in you know here is the uh y- you put in like uh here's the price of the home um here is the tax rate here is you know, all these different factors, right? And it'll give you a number. If you can buy, 
if if this number is lower or higher than the amount that rent for a comparable property would be in your city, um, then that is the math on whether you're going to come out below or ahead, right? But that includes stuff like how much do you expect the housing market to rise in the next five years, which no one can predict, mm-hmm. right? So the point being, it is not at all the best investment that you can make. It's substantially worse than the stock market. And the stock market is it's bad investment is, is also very risky, <laughs> right. right? So, um, uh, if you've really done the legwork all the way, then yeah, go ahead. I'm not going to tell people never buy a home in any circumstance, right? But, um, it's not the dream that it was cracked up to be. Would you rather be right or liked? <laughs> I'd rather be right. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I'd rather be right. Okay. But people like, people like to be right. People like to know that they're right. So I've not, I've, I've, I've found a way to make people like me more for being right. <laughs> it used to be when I was right, people would go, Adam, shut up. We were, we were enjoying ourselves. Don't be right. Now I've made a TV show about mm-hmm. people saying that to me and now they like me as a result right. because I turned what was painful into funny. Let's do just me or everyone. Uh, and we have a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? So this is where people write in with things they think or they do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we weigh in on if we we relate to this. Sounds great. Uh, Misa Evans says, whenever I'm on a flight back to my home, quote unquote, airport, I expect to see someone I know. I never experienced this. I don't have that. But what I do have is I'll be in another city and I'll see someone that looks like someone from my past. And then I'll repeatedly see that per- someone that like reminds me of that. Like I remember this is actually not someone from my past, but one day I used to live in New York and one day I was walking around the village and I swear I saw Diane Weist like 45 times. And I'm like, what am I just like, why is this happening? Why is this center of my brain repeatedly lighting up? And am I seeing, is it cause I don't think I'm, I'm seeing a bunch of people that look like her. It's just like my brain is processing the information, re- is yeah. finding a pattern. This is this has never happened to me, but it could be like a deja vu style phenomenon. It was, it's like, yes. It's like the feeling of recognition happens without anything you're actually recognizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. A, it's in the the realm of deja vu, but it kind of it's always like the same criteria that cause it, which is I'm in another town and I see someone that reminds me of some looks like someone I haven't seen in a while. And then I keep seeing that figure. I think you're both crazy. I've never heard of this. Never experienced, never experienced. It's just you. I might be. Do we do, do we keep a tally? Just you. We don't, but we should. So tonight we will. Okay. Uh, caucus O'Flanagan said he sent in two and I'm just trying to figure out. Caucus O'Flanagan. Yeah. Clearly a fake name. I think you're right. The term handcrafted has no meaning anymore, right? That is that we're supposed to relate to that, or is that just a that's an opinion? It's just an opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they make iPhones by hand. Yeah, I guess you're like right. if they're uh, iPhones are really made by hand. So, right. I mean, it has a meaning. It's often used by people who don't. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Um. 
Sooner Magic says, as an ambassador for podcasts, I'm really tired of having to explain to people what it is and how to find one. It's 2018, people. Get with the program. Who is this person? What? They, they, they've labeled themselves an ambassador for podcasts? I am trying to bring podcasts to people. I like that. You go yeah. out there and you ambassadize. But who? No, that's fine. But I've never once, I've never experienced this. You haven't run into people who don't know how to, how to get a podcast? No, and I've certainly never been frustrated with them. Really? Yeah, never. You Isn't... must travel in really podcasty circles. I'm just not trying to push podcasts on others. Uh, podcasts are very personal to me. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of, you do your show. Yes. You perform live. Yes. You do your podcast. It, yes. it feels, I feel like you're do. you are a voice on Bojack Horseman and- yes. I feel like you're doing a million things. Do you feel uh, like you're doing a million things? You know, I'm just, I'm so busy. No, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I always try to do more. Um, uh, it's fun to, it's fun to do things. Uh, but yeah. are you insanely busy? Yes, I'm very busy. Uh, I mean, but you know, I, I, I often still get a weekend off, you know, uh, working on the show is very time consuming and that's the, that's the hardest part. And, and I've thankfully been able to like, you know, get some, get some people who I really love working with who, who can take a lot of the load off of me, which is really great. Mm -hmm. Is that hard for you to trust other, like to let other people do that work? No, it's actually very easy to let them do it. Um, the hard part is finding people who can do it well. Um, you know, and, and we finally gotten there, you know, like it was, because people say, oh yeah, you just can't trust people. No, it's, it's that, it's that like, it's very hard to do the work and it's, you know, it's, it's the hard part has been, Finding people who I can rely on, that takes time. We've mm -hmm. only been making the show for three or four years. This is our fourth year making the show. So it took time to find people like that. And then it took time for me to figure out how we make the show and teach them what I am looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, So that part of it is the hard part. The the letting go is easy. Oh my God, I would love to let go, you know. And and this year I'm I'm able to every year I'm able to let go of a little bit more. And God does it feel great, you know. But then when you get a script and you're like, Ah uh, shit! This ain't working yet. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Then, then you have to fire someone. No, you don't fire someone. Then you got to dig in with yourself and do it. You know, and that's not out of like I can't let it go. That's out of like it needs some work. Right, you know? right. Jeff Walters says I spell traveling with two L's, and I'm a little nervous. It sounds like I am trying to be highfalutin, but two L's just feels right. <laughs> traveling and canceling, I go back and forth, but I don't. I don't want to be that person. I do put two L's. Traveling, Jeff, are there I two L's in canceling? I believe so. Oh, well, then good thing that I put both of them in. Um, I don't want to be that person who's like doing the Canadian or British spellings of things. Because that does I just seem put a, I just put a U after every vowel I really? write. Yeah, you put a line through your sevens. I, would put, no, I don't put lines through my sevens. Did you ever go through That's a phase funny. where you did? I do write theater, R-E, mm -hmm. the, theatre. There you go. Yeah. How do you spell gray? Depends on how I feel. Really? I, yeah. I go back and forth a little bit, too. I don't care. Oh, my God. You know what really sucks, though, is when people have an opinion about something and they're like, and they really dig in, like, mm. um, like uh, when I was like, oh, yeah, I was waiting online and people go, aha, you must be from Ohio or whatever. Because they have <laughs> it's some in line. They have some opinion about whether it's in line or online. And I have no opinion about it. I am convinced I alternate. The first time someone brought this up, I had never heard of there being a distinction. I have a total like blindness or deafness to it. And I don't care. And I'll say either one. Um, and I don't consider it to be a regionalism. But some people are like, aha. So, you know, 
those people are silly. It's been, there's been a lot of debate on this show about the sound of Dawn and Dawn. To me, I Dawn, D-O-N, Dawn, D-A-W-N. Oh, Dawn, Dawn. I say them exactly the same. To me, they're exactly the same. Dawn, Dawn, Dawn. Oh, they're different for you. Dawn, Dawn. I shall don my robe. Uh, what's uh, I, I, you want to get up at dawn? I guess it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's I mean, there's a difference one could enunciate, but one doesn't have to to make oneself understood. Oh my god! You just put to bed the entire argument. <laughs> it could be either way. Uh, <laughs> there's no you know with language. There's no right way, and there there simply isn't. And um, so I, I get tired very quickly of, of which, you know, which is the right way because there isn't. Katie Shrum says, I am over 40 years old and four-way stop intersections still make me nervous. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know what really makes me nervous? Speaking of uh, highfalutin, roundabouts. Get over yourself, roundabouts. I don't know how to do you. Roundabouts are great. They're why? really good. I got one in my neighborhood. First of all, I don't understand why four-way stops make you nervous. Four-way stops are great because there's nobody coming the other way. Two-way stops are scary. Yeah, that's in true. In LA, are you kidding me? Also, it's fucked up that it says stop and then it says all way and that's the one it alerts you to. It should say stop only two-way. Mm-hmm. Look the fuck out because those right. are rarer. You know, the two-way stops are rarer. Mm-hmm. And when I I learned to drive at the age of 30 um, because uh, I grew up in New York and I moved out here. And when they told me that, I was like, that's bananas. So I have to look for the lack of an all-way mm-hmm. in order to watch out for maniacs coming by at 50 miles an hour to like, oh, look left, right, left, right, left. You know, like... I all- didn't even... I'm always just looking for the back of a sign. Yeah. I didn't even know that there... I didn't even know where... I haven't all even way read the means, all-way All-way means it's a four-way stop. If you don't see the all-way, then, right. then it's a two-way stop sign, and that's when you got to watch out for maniacs. Roundabouts are great. Well, th- they can be great. So I have a little one in my neighborhood, um, and uh, what's great about it is uh, a roundabout, a small one, you know, a roundabout can serve the purpose of a stop sign, but nobody has to stop. Right, because you can two yeah. people can enter it at the same time and and go around slowly and and you don't really lose speed. It's really good for that reason. Do you know what the problem is with roundabouts? Can you figure it out? Can you? That's just a guess. I'm, I, Centrifugal force. <laughs> no, as the pedestrians, where does the pedestrian cross the roundabout? Right, because now they there's don't. no now there's no definite place for the for the car to stop. Yeah. Um. Uh. But. You know, if you're talking about efficiency of moving the traffic, mm-hmm. I'm not a traffic engineer, but roundabouts, you know, are, are right. more Right. No, it's efficient. like the revolving door of exactly. road stuff. Exactly. Jeff, did we find the canceling info? Oh, yes. Canceling two L's, traveling one. Well, there you go. Interesting. Now we know. And lastly, Salo Bobin says, just mirror everyone. Have stuck a tissue up my runny nose. Side note, tempted to do this with my daughter. And then there's a picture of uh, a child with a runny nose. I do this all the time. Really? It's great. Yeah. I I, I would do it and have a cold. Um, I don't know what, how I learned it. Maybe just through trial and error as a kid. I'll take the tissue and roll it up into like a spear, mm. right? And then like really get it up there, you know, like way up like there. Like how are you going to your brain? Like how high up? Yeah. All the way to the brain. All the way. Uh, you want to see it in your pupil. <laughs> When you look in the mirror. You want to come but out your tear duct. Often what will happen is it'll like sort of absorb a lot of the stuff that's mm-hmm. up there and it'll clear out your nose and, and, and help you breathe through it. That, that's what used to happen to me as a kid. I haven't done it in a while. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's great. 
I find this is getting real personal. I find the blow. I find blowing my nose, the whole blowing your nose thing, I find to be like fairly ineffective because I feel like it just. I, you blow your nose, some goes in the tissue, and then some is still left in your nose. Yeah. Maybe I need to do this tissue spear thing. Yeah. Adam Conover. Just get a neti pot or a pipe cleaner or, or you pipe just, cleaner. Or you just kill yourself. That would solve all your problems. You know, no, nothing bothers you after you're dead. Isn't that a comfort that we'll all die? Are you advising everyone of this or just me? <laughs> this is a real just me or everyone. I often think it's a real comfort. I'm like, you know, one day I'll die and I won't have any worries anymore. Yeah, yeah. I wish I, could. I wish that was uh, was so motivational for me as well. But it's real double-edged sword. Like, yeah, I won't have to take my bra off immediately when I'm because it's uncomfortable when I'm dead. <laughs> and I won't feel tired. Right. But... Anyway, we could really go off the deep end with that. Okay, Adam Conover, it was delightful having you on the show. Thank, thank you, you thank for making you, time you, to you, do thank this. You, thank you, thank you. Tell everyone um, where they can find you and plug all the all the things. Sure, we got new episodes of an animated miniseries called um, "Ad Ruins Everything Presents Reanimated History" coming out Tuesdays at ten thirty on True TV. It's all it's all history stories, and it's all me as a little cartoon. Um, uh, then, uh, I have a, there's an Adam Ruins Everything podcast. It's actually on hiatus right now, but you can go listen to the, to the back, uh, the, the backlog of, of wonderful, we interview experts. Uh, and, uh, follow me on Twitter, Adam Conover. Follow me on Twitch at, at, uh, Adam Conover as well if you want to watch me play video games. And what games will they watch you playing? Oh, I just beat Bloodborne right now. I'm playing Yakuza Zero. Mm. Excellent. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe. iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Rate, review, etc. Jeff, where do we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox or stuck in a roundabout near you. That's <laughs> <laughs> the other thing. When do you get out? <laughs> uh, listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Yeah, Alison Rosen is your new best friend.